0: Jesus, thank you for the opportunity we have now to come before you and you are the son of God. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for what you did there for us. You showed us your love. And I thank you for the lives that are being changed and transformed in this room. As we place our focus on you and what you can do and what you want to do in us, and then, what you want to do through us is you help, as we help others, to come to know you as well. I pray, just pray that we've lifted you up today. And there's a smile on your face, and your people. It's in your name, we pray. Amen. Awesome! You can go and have a seat. I just loved today so far. My uh, friend Wayne Cadero, he's from Honolulu, uh, New Hope Church there. And he says something like, We just had church, you know? <laughs> that was awesome. Just uh, everything from rap to hymns to uh, baptisms. We just had such a blast this morning coming before God. And I'm so excited about this and the series that we're in. And we actually kicked it off last week. So I would encourage you, if you weren't here, you want to go and watch last week because there was a lot of framework that we laid last week, a lot of foundation uh, that you'll need as we go through this series. And so what we're doing is we're looking at seven statements that Jesus made as he walked our planet, and they all began with the term, I am. And so I just want to kind of give you a little bit of what I talked about last week, just to help you be in tune with this. The, I am, that phrase as Jesus spoke, it came from two Greek words. Now we don't do a lot of you know, Greek, and even though that was what the Bible was written in here, but it came from two Greek words, ego, a me, and it's, both of them are I am. So he's saying, I am, I am, I am who I am. And it's just powerful when he said that. It's key that Jesus designates himself in this way. And when he did that, he was using a phrase that would have been familiar to all of the people listening to him during that day. By designating himself as the I am, he was making a declarative statement that he was God, Jesus, the son of God. He was introducing himself the same way that Moses, that God introduced himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, 14, when he says, I am. And when God said that to Moses, and then as Jesus says that to you and me, what he's saying to us is this, he's saying, here's who I'll be to you. All that you need, I am. There's great security in that, folks. All that we need, he is. And these statements that we're going to look at, and we have been looking at so far, is we can look to Jesus as our God, and we can know that he has our best interest in mind. We have to, though, take Jesus at his word. As Jesus describes himself in his own words, we can truly have the life that he offers that you bring. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to grab these message notes out of your program. It'd be an awesome thing for you to do. You can follow along. All the Bible verses we'll use will be here today in case you don't have a Bible with you. Have your Bible, open it to John chapter 8. Love to be, have you in John chapter 8 with us today as we go through this. And if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one, be our gift to you. So right out there is a bookshelf, right out those doors, you just grab a Bible, be our gift to you. And we'd be so happy for you to take one so you can have a Bible in your own home that you could read as well. So I was just thinking about this. One of the craziest things about horror movies, horror movies, is that what you see is you have what you think are ordinary sane people making terrible choices that lead them into disaster after disaster, right? You kind of see that. You kind of see it coming. The audience, we get to see it's coming. You go, oh, don't go there. Don't do that. You know where it's going to go. And you realize that if a view, as a viewer, that if they would just go the other way, that everything would turn out. But it wouldn't. They have to go the other, you know, the way of danger because that's what makes a good movie. The question is, this begs to be asked: Why do these people keep making such bad decisions? Well, because if there didn't, there wouldn't be a movie. There wouldn't be a story. Well, here's a little example of what I'm talking about. Let's watch this. Uh, let's hide in the attic. No, in the basement. Why <laughs> can't we just get in the running car? Are you crazy? The type behind the chainsaws. Smart. <laughs> if you're in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. It's what you do. I'm being quiet. Breathing on me. If you want to save 15% or more on car insurance, you switch to Geico. It's what you do. i the cemetery! You get the point, right? You get the point. Let's head for the cemetery. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, there's a running car. Why don't we just get in an it and we can oh no, they have to go into all kinds of danger. So, what we're gonna look at today is a bit of I what I think is horror movie mentality in the story we're gonna look at from the Bible. The light is being offered to people, and yet people continue to choose darkness. Some people continue to live in the dark and to choose that direction. So the question is this, Will you let Jesus light up your world? Will you let Jesus be the one you turn to? Will you turn toward him, knowing that when you turn toward him, he's going to lead you to good? But if you don't turn toward him, you're turning toward the darkness. And what we need to understand is this, light is good, dark, not so good, not so good. So what we're going to do is we want to turn to him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up the story that we're going to look at today, and in order to you know, understand it, I want to dig into some context a little bit so we can understand that. So uh, we're going to be in John chapter 8, beginning verse 12. I'm going to go back to John chapter 7 just a little bit and talk about what's going on. And we realize that the events that we're going to look at in John chapter 8, they take place during what is called the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of the Tents or the Feast of um, Sukkoth is what they would call that if you wanted to use Hebrew. And this statement Jesus made is recorded during this time. And so they're going to be in the temple. So I've got a picture here to show you the temple so we can just look at that a minute. The temple was set up with a series of courtyards. Outside of the walls that we see there, the rectangular walls, outside of those walls would be the temple of the, Gen- the court of the Gentiles. Everybody could go into that. And then you have the gate there, you go into the, the, going into the enclosed wall right there, you enter in and. The small square at the bottom The large square at the bottom Half of the temple Is what we would call The temple of the women And so the reason it was called The temple of the women Is because everybody could go Into the temple of the Gentiles Only Jews could go into The temple of the women And the reason it was called The temple of the women Is that was as far as the women could go And the next, you know, the next uh, courtyard was the temple of the men And then you got into The holy of holies Where only the priests could go Now, when you look at the temple of the women there, you see there's four different squares, and there were also 13 different offering baskets. So when we read a little while, we're going to... Jesus went to the treasury. So this is where the people would come, and they would bring their offerings and give them to God. By the way, this is a huge, huge thing, much bigger than that picture actually makes it look at. So it's a very busy place, this temple, this courtyard... And this story, you know, typically on a normal day is very busy, but it also takes place during the Feast of the Tabernacles or Tents. And by the way, you can read about it in Leviticus 23 about this feast and why they were having this feast. If you want to write that down, maybe you want to read that at another point. Well, God had directed the Jewish people to observe seven different festivals. Each festival was designed to remind them of how good God had been to them that he had shown them his goodness in a variety of ways. And the seventh was the temple of the booths, temple of the tabernacles. I'm going to say tabernacles because I keep saying temple of the booze, and you're going, booze? Let's go to that temple. I mean, my word. That's not what we're talking about, okay? The booths, Uh, so tabernacles. Now, this feast that they were entering into, the Feast of the Tabernacles, was a week-long celebration over seven days. It had a Sabbath on each end. And it was a time to commemorate God's provision for his people as they walked in the wilderness for 40 years, how he provided for them. But it wasn't just a time to look back. You know, it's great to look back. It, it really helps us to you know, have, be steady today. We look back with gratitude about what God has done. It really gives us a lot of strength. But it was also a time to look forward with hope to what God was going to do, what he had promised. And so the people from all over Israel were encouraged to come and come to this different this, um festival that would last over seven days now during the seven days the people would build booths or they would build their own tents and they would look something like this so uh, it was to commemorate the fact that the children of israel for 40 years lived in tents and booths as they made their way across the wilderness so they actually left their homes went outside maybe in the backyard got on top of the roof, because, you know, they had flat roofs, most of them, and they would build this, and they would live in this for seven days. You know, the kids had to love this, right? You have kids that love to camp out in the backyard. This had to be, like, awesome for them to be able to have this uh, festival come along. Well, there were a couple of rituals that went along with this week-long event. One is that every day the priests would go to the Pool of Siloam, and they would pull, you know, take water from the Pool of Siloam, and they would go to the altar, and they would pour the water as an offering at the altar, and it was a way to commemorate god 's provision of water for his people when they were in the wilderness for forty years. in fact, if you look at john seven thirty seven you might want to write this down as a reference john seven thirty seven John records that on the last day of this feast, as they came and they poured the water on the altar to commemorate God's provision that it was at that moment in John 7 37 that Jesus stood up and said anyone who is thirsty may come to me anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart so Jesus is standing up and he's making a claim right there uh, and it's a little less forceful than the claim he's going to make in just a moment but he said basically saying I'm God and I'm going to supply you rivers of living water much like we've Uh, looked at a few months ago in John chapter 4 with a woman at the well. Now, another ritual that they observed as part of this Feast of Tabernacles was the lighting of four very large candelabras, uh, menorahs, 75 feet tall, that had been placed in the court of the women. That's why I wanted to show you the court of the women. Each of these candelabras had arms coming off them with large bowls filled with oil. One person I read this week said that the wicks were made from the discarded undergarments of the priests. I was thinking about offering mine, but we won't get to go there. If, you're kind of, if you need some wick material, I don't know. So there we go. <laughs> and every night, they would light these bowls of oil, and they would glow. Here's kind of a picture of what that looked like, okay? Kind of a picture of what that looked like. See how it just glows? It glows over the entire city. These four lampstands would blaze through the night. Uh, most scholars believe that this light would be from, this, from the lampstands was so bright that they would glow, and it would be seen by not only the entire city, but you could actually see the glow as far away as the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of like when I'm coming at night, I'm driving somewhere, and I turn the corner onto a dog bar, and I can look, and I can see the lights of Sacramento, the glow of the lights of Sacramento way down the hill. So they could see that it was that bright. And this light, it represented the reality that God was the light of their hopes, the light of their hopes, light of their hopes for his presence, and then the light of their hopes for the coming Messiah, and that he would put an end to the darkness around them. He would put an end to the darkness around them. So on the eighth day of the feast, as it ended, they would begin, so on the seventh night, they would have this bright glow, and then the next morning, it's over. And so they would then tear down the candelabras, and people would still be in the court of the women because they were still you know, bringing their offerings. They were still teaching. Rabbis were there and all that thing. And so as they are there on the next morning, they're remembering the glow that they've witnessed over seven straight nights. And it was at this moment that Jesus stands up in the court of the women as they're thinking about this brilliant light that they've seen. And he declares this in John eight twelve. He spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I bet it got really quiet. (laughs) Jesus just declared that he was not just a light, not just a bright light. Jesus said, I am the light, the one and only one. He's making a claim that just can't be topped by anyone else. He's saying, I'm the one, I and therefore, when he's saying this, he's saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm God, I'm the light that leads to life. The light that leads to life. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us in our day? Well, I just want to consider this for a moment, and we're going to look at some ideas about the light. And by designating himself as the light of the world, Jesus is revealing himself first, if you want to write this down, as the one who overcomes all darkness. So he overcomes darkness, all darkness. John 1, once again, this is John writing this, and he's reflecting on the life of Jesus. He says this, The word gave life to everything that was created, And his life brought, what, light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it, never take it away. So John's just reminding them that, you know what, we live in a world surrounded by darkness. We are surrounded by darkness, and darkness represents evil, darkness represents harm, darkness represents all that we would detest, all that we would want to stay away from, and yet there's a part of darkness that pulls people in because of the promise it makes that they'll find fulfillment. Jesus says, I overcome darkness. Francis of Assisi said this about this whole idea of Jesus. He said, all the darkness of the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. And then you'll be familiar with this quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, and he said this. As he was engaged in the battle for civil rights. He says... Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. You want to do a test? You want to do a test to see if light really can overcome darkness, that darkness cannot overcome light? But here's what I'd like to suggest you do go home tonight, turn all the lights on in your entryway. And if you're like mine, you have a kitchen next to that and a living room. Turn all the lights on, as bright as you can make it to be. And at the same time, make sure all the lights outside are off. So it's completely dark. And I live on a a street without street lights, so this would be really easy for me to do. Then what I want you to do is, when you have all that set, open the door. Open the door and watch what happens. What happens at that moment is this. Two things. One, the light goes out into the darkness... The light overcomes the darkness, but here's the really most important thing. When you open the door, the darkness does not come in and take over. Imagine that. You open open your door, and all of a sudden, the darkness just comes in, and everything gets dimmer and dimmer in your house. The darkness does not come out. It does not take over. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. He overcomes the darkness. He can overcome the darkness in your heart, the darkness in your world, the darkness you're struggling with. Second is this, Jesus reveals himself as the one who exposes what is hidden. He exposes what is hidden. And by the way, this is one reason people want to stay away from Jesus. He exposes what's hidden in their hearts, what's hidden in their actions, what they have you know, behind the scenes going on. He exposes everything that's hidden in the world. This is what it says in Luke eight seventeen: For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open. Anybody like that verse? It's true, though. It's true. Do we live like it's true? Do we make choices like we really believe that everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open? And everything that is concealed will be brought to light and be made known to all. Be made to all. Known to all. So I was just thinking about that. Thinking, What if we all... You know, right now, all of a sudden, our cell phone dinged, and you look down, and on your cell phone was everything that your neighbor sitting next to you had ever done. (laughs) We'd hate that, right? (laughs) We would not want that at all, but that's exactly the light exposes what we've been hiding. Not so it can harm us, so it can help us. I know that Kimberly and I, we've made this plan a long time ago that we prayed that our kids would always get caught. (laughs) I love how God answers that prayer. (laughs) That our kids would always get caught. And so we just want to know, we just know that the best thing for our kids is that they will always get exposed at some point so they get to deal with what's going on in their heart. Third, Jesus reveals himself as the one who reveals what is true, He reveals what is true. And so in a world where there's no truth, Jesus says, guess what? There is truth, and it's me. And so uh, that's what he wants us to understand. He is truth. Jesus is the truth that he's, the truth of God that he's bringing to our lives. Darkness conceals, light reveals, and shows the truth. Without light, you can't see. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness this is creation, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. What does he say we're going to know? What truth we're going to know? The glory of God that's seen in the face of Jesus. So we're going to know the truth about Jesus. He reveals the truth of Jesus to us. So when we hear the claims that Jesus makes, that he's God, and we get to John 14 here in a few weeks when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the way, the truth, and the light, Jesus revealing truth here. He's revealing truth. And he wants us to know the truth, and the light does reveal that. And then the last thing is this. Jesus reveals himself as the one who guides the way. The one who guides the way. Jesus is the one that shows us the way to live the way to God. Psalm eighteen twenty-eight says, You light a lamp for me, the Lord my God, lights up my darkness. So that's what it does, the lights up the darkness so that I can have a guide on the way to live. There's a story of a grandfather. He's walking along with his grandson, and they're going along, and he asks his grandson, do you know where we're going? And her grandson looks up at the grandfather, no. And and he says, so uh, do you know where you're at? And the grandson looked up at the grandfather and says, no. And the grandfather kind of laughed, and he says, well, I guess you must be lost. And the little boy, the little grandson, looked up at his grandfather and says, no, because I'm with you, grandfather, And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here, is that we can always know the way. We can always know the way. I was praying for a friend this morning over texting back and forth with each other in a very, very complicated, way difficult situation where there seems to be no good solution and no answer. And so we prayed this morning that God would show him the light and there would be clarity in this day today that he would have clarity on what he should do and the direction that he would go. And I just say to folks, we can trust God to guide us. So how do we respond to Jesus as the light of the world? So that's what I want to end with, just the four thoughts, just really quickly. First is this, I respond by turning to the light. So that's the first thing I do, I turn to the light. That's what I I have to turn to him. He says, I am the light of the world. And when turning to the light basically means I'm going to, Declare by faith that he is the light. Declare by faith that he's revealed what is hidden. exposed that to me. That he's revealed he's truth. That he's the son of the living God. And declare by faith that I want to receive him. And that I'm going to make him my light. So that's what I do when I turn to him. John 8.30 says this. Then many who heard him say these things, they did what? They believed in him. They didn't just believe facts about him. It says they believed in him, and that means they placed their trust in him. They chose to say, "We're going to become your follower." And that's the second point. Is this? The second one is this: I respond by walking in the light. Respond by walking in the light. So I walk now. I turn to Jesus. He's the light. Now I'm going to walk in the light with him. He says, "If you what? Follow me. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in the darkness." Now Jesus is not just a light to see, but he's a light to follow. I follow him. Now, that word follow is just fascinating here. That if You guys know this. The Septuagint is the uh, Old Testament that was translated into the Greek language. And so, in the Old Testament, you had uh, this uh, time when uh, God would appear to his people during the time in the wilderness, and he would appear as a cloud, and he would appear as a pillar of fire at night. And then it says that people would follow that. Well, when the translators took the Hebrew, Aramaic, and translated it into Greek. They used a word for follow, and it's the same word Jesus uses right now for follow. Same exact word. And he's saying, I'm going to be your pillar of light. And I'll guide you. If you will lean into me and trust me, I will guide you through life. Look at what First John says. It says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all truth. So when I'm walking in the light, that means I need from all sin. So that means that when I'm walking in the light, I'm walking in truth. And that's what Jesus goes on in John 8, just a little while later, as he's you know, having this de- uh, debate with the Pharisees, uh, verbal battle, they're sparring with each other. He finally says in John eight thirty one, he says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, those who believed, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. What does that mean? If you walk in the light, if you follow me, if you do as I've guided, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And a lot of uh, groups steal that phrase, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Well, it's specifically talking about the truth about Jesus. That's the truth that will set you free because you know him and you know how to follow him. Third, we respond by being transformed by the light. So be transformed by the light. Allow him to do his work in me to transform me, to be the person he wants me to be. He says, you will have, when you follow me then, you will have the light that leads to life. This is so freeing. Let's have this thought. This is so freeing because if we, it, most people get stuck in Christianity, and they get stuck, and it, they just—it's all about what I do for God. And you know, they sign up for all the programs the church might offer, and then you know, the church says, "Go serve all the poor and the hungry," and they sign up for all the you know the uh, social action causes the church gets involved with. And then the church says, give my money. So they come and they give their money, and they're really engaged in that. And to teach my children, so that they engage in that. And pretty soon, their lives are consumed. And then when it, when it gets down to it, when it gets down to what they're doing, if they're really honest, they're, they're trying. they're saying, you know what I'm doing right now? I'm trying to please God. I don't really feel that Jesus was enough. We just think the cross was enough, right? We don't feel Jesus was enough. And so what Jesus comes along, and he says, and this is what I've been working on. I've been talking to you guys a lot the last five, six years. Five years, time just flies. I've been talking a lot about this idea that I'm transformed by Jesus when I'm with Jesus. Not when I do for Jesus. I do for Jesus when I'm transformed by Jesus. Then it's truly coming from my heart and what I do. And I I just want to share that right now. I just think that if we're going to be transformed as a church, as people, it's going to be because we chose to follow Jesus. That's why we hold him up. That's why we talk about him. That's why we say it's so important. And I know it sounds mystical. It sounds crazy. Sometimes you're thinking, oh, how, you know what? I'm just telling you, it's true. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the life of others that I walk with on a regular basis as we walk with Jesus together. He transforms us. We've tried, many of us have tried to change in so many other ways and I talk with people all the time. They tell me all the things they've done to try to, to change, to be transformed and I just keep coming back to this. I know it sounds simplistic. Would you just turn and walk with Jesus today? Would you listen to his word? Would you let him guide you? Would you follow the commands he gives? Because he's given, to you, given you these commands for your best. He has the words that lead to life. So we talked about last week, that word life, it has two meanings. One, it has the meaning of physical life, bios, physical, biology. And, you know, most of us spend all of our energy on physical life, on bios life. It's not bad. Jesus, you know, creation, he made us to be biological creatures, but the Bible, most of the time when it uses the word life in the New Testament, is talking about zoe life. We talked about this a lot last week, so if you weren't here, you want to go out and listen to that. That's the life Jesus wants us to pursue, is zoe life. But once again, see what happens is, as I start, I'm getting way off track. What happens is, if I start pursuing bios life, I make Physical life, my goal. I make it all about what I, you know, my career, my job, my house, my, my kids, uh, my hobbies, my investment, all those my goal. None of those transform me into Jesus. But if I make Him my goal, He transforms me into being like Him. He gives me Zoe life, He fills me to the fullest. And we get so impatient. We want all this to happen right away. I'm just telling you, it's a process. But look at what John 1.12 says about Jesus. It says, all who believed in him, accepted him. He gave the right to become children of God. And he says that they are reborn, not as a physical birth. So there's a bios birth happening for every one of us, resulting from human passion or pain, but a birth that comes from God. We call it being born again. And then we pursue the Zoe life with Jesus. And the last thing is this. We respond by shining our light for others to see. We respond by shining... Our light. So we're going to shine the light, the light of Jesus, to be the reflectors of his light into our world. So this is what Jesus says about us. Okay, he says about himself, I am the light. Then this is what he says about those who know Jesus, those who have chosen to follow him. He says this, you are the light of the world. This is radical. This is, this is just as radical as Jesus standing up and saying, I am the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will say, aren't you awesome? (laughs) So that everyone will do what? Praise your heavenly Father. See, we're not called to keep the light to ourselves. You know, like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to pull all the this, all this shades down on my house because I don't want the light to get outside. I'm going to pull it all in. I'm going to hold in. We're, no, we're called to share it with others, to let it shine through us so that others can experience the joy, the peace, the hope, and the love, and the grace that we have found in him. We're called to love others the same way that Jesus loves us. C.S. Lewis, by the way, if you guys haven't read Mere Mere Christianity, or haven't read Mere Christianity in a long time, just encourage you, grab that book. This is one of the quotes he said. He says, don't shine so that others can see you. Shine so that through, that through you, others can see Jesus. That's the goal. Through you, others can see Jesus. Now, how do we do that? I'm just going to give you some ideas. First, we do it by living with absolute character and consistency. Absolute character and consistency. So I'll just meddle a little bit right now, okay? Some of us are trying to live in two worlds. Some of us are trying to live in the light of Jesus, but we're not willing to give up the darkness. And we're dabbling in two worlds. And I'm just telling you, anytime we choose to go over here into the darkness and dabble there, we are hurting the cause of Christ. We're hurting the cause of Jesus. Because others know. Others see. But not only that, we're wrecking our lives one choice at a time. Instead of turning to the running car, we're going to the cemetery. Thinking the cemetery is where we're going to find peace. So let's just be people of integrity and people of consistency. Number two, we do that by living attractively. We want to be attractive to others. Just as light draws attention, then we want to be able to draw attention, not by being weird, okay? Golly, there's just too many weird Christians today. And they all seem to be on Facebook and Instagram, and then they all make their way into the news somehow. And that's where everybody thinks that's a Christian. Oh my word, it just drives me crazy. Let's be people who stand out in an attractive way, in an attractive way. Third, we do that by living hopefully. Hopefully. We have hope, people. We look at our world sometimes as followers of Jesus. We go, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Quit it. We have hope. Jesus says, I'm coming again. I'm coming again for you. And then lastly, we do it as we learn to walk in the light of Jesus ourselves. Walk in the light of Jesus ourselves. Learn to walk with him. As we walk with him, he changes us. I don't have to try to work up light. <laughs> Am I glowing? <laughs> I don't have to do that. I'm sweating, but I'm not glowing. What's <laughs> us walk in the light. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this chance to hear from your word today. Thank you so much for Jesus. I'm in awe of him. I'm in awe of what you do in us. I'm awe of the change that you've made in my life and as I watched the baptisms today I saw the couple and the husband was baptized and the daughter came through and or I think it was just a husband and wife and she was in tears because of her husband making that choice today. God, she's in awe of that, Jesus. I'm in awe of the people in this church who have chosen Jesus against their family's wishes against the pull of culture, they continue to say, no, Jesus is my way because Jesus is the way. I pray that you would help us as followers of Jesus to be able to live lives of integrity and consistency, that we would think about what we, the choices we make and when we're dabbling in darkness, thinking it's going to bring us light, I mean life, and it doesn't. I pray that you would help us to uh, be attractive and that others would be able to see you and us And be drawn to you. I pray that you would give us words of hope. Scriptural promises of hope in our heart. So that we can stand. On the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus I pray you would change us. You'd help each one of us to be more like you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.